0: Jordan trying to shake off Stars. Oh, what a move. Sitting here, I supposed to be the franchise player, and we're in here talking about practice. And running with episode two of the Retro Room here on the Cruise Control Podcast. You can follow me, the host Randy Cruz, on Twitter at R-E-N-D-Y, the letter J-C-R-U-Z. You can find the podcast on both SoundCloud and iTunes, slash Cruise Control Podcast. Download, rate, comment, subscribe, all that good stuff. On iTunes, got my man Oliver Maroney from Portland, Oregon, coming on the show. You can also follow him on Twitter at NBA. Oliver, my man, how you doing?
1: Doing good, man. Doing
0: good. Cannot complain. <laughs> You're all the way in Portland, Oregon. I'm here in New York. It's uh, mid 40s over here. Had a good high 70 yesterday. So you know, I know it's kind of global warming here in February, but it must be a little warmer or colder where you at, right? It's uh yeah, it's pretty
1: cold, man. It snowed yesterday in Portland and so wow. everybody's kind of rec- recovering from that. It's still icy on the roads. You got to be a little careful, but you know, in Portland you get maybe one time a year where there's a potential opportunity for snow. So mm-hmm. everyone takes advantage. It's been a lot of fun, man. It's it's been good.
0: Well, man, um first of all, before we go forward, I do want to thank you for coming on. I know it's maybe almost 11 o'clock where you are at 10 10 o'clock in the morning where you at so i really appreciate you coming on so early to come on this is episode two of the retro room a podcast that i felt like i wanted to do for 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 quite some time to talk about some throwback nba retro stuff and kind of get away from the the average norm of topics you get every single day with you know lebron the warriors and trade deadline and and what have you but um again you are from portland so I knew I had to get you on for a couple topics and when I reached out to you, one topic in particular um, that came out was you want to talk about the jailblazers Blazers era with with Portland um, and when I saw that, man, I had to you know, I gotta be honest man, I totally forgot about that era like I knew about it, but, but when you told me I was like, man, that, you know, that was very a very interesting time with that franchise and stuff that you know, prior <laughs> to that and then stuff that happened after, so it kind of it was, you know, things that happened before that kind of led to that. And then how they kind of got away from that era where they are now here in 2019, uh, a way better franchise than they were in the mid-2000s. But um, I do want to thank you for coming on. It should be fun. People can follow you on Twitter at o NBA. Uh, Great work with the big three, formerly from Dime Mag and Basketball Insiders, and the Positionless podcast that you have. So, before I go further, talk about that podcast you have and how people can hear it, and how how often you do it.
1: Yeah, so I do it once a week. It's with a unique guest, and just like you, you know, I'm tired of the same. Like, are the Warriors going to win the title every year? You know what? Well, who's going to Who's gonna go to the Lakers, the yeah. same topics over and over. It just feels like it's always regurgitated. So mm. for me, uh, if anybody knows me, you know, I cover this sport in the players' sense, and I, I love getting to know just, like, the backstories. So I had, like, you know, Bonzi Wells was actually my first, uh, you know, we talk about the Jailblazers. Bonzi Wells was my first um, guest on the show, and mm. that was, you know, every week I've got a new guest that comes on, but he basically goes through – you know, how he got started in basketball, his family life, like what he went through, how he got to the NBA. And then he goes through like each spot where he was at in the NBA and kind of like little backstories and stories that haven't been told. And that's really, ultimately what I want is I want people to understand, like a lot of these people come from different backgrounds and they don't really understand like a lot of the stuff they have to go through. Uh And so for me, uh, to get the opportunity to kind of shed some light on some of those things, I think is important. And, uh, Something that's like you said, unique, different. I don't. I don't want to continue to talk about the Warriors. I mean, like I love the Warriors. They play amazing right. basketball. But everybody talks about them twenty four seven. And uh, let's you know, let's try and make some news stories here. Let's try and get some people some coverage that maybe haven't gotten it in a long time or haven't gotten some stuff off their chest that they want to get off. So mm-hmm. uh, it's been really fun, man. I've had you know like Romeo Travis, LeBron's former teammate, Rex Chapman. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've got. Uh, a bunch of different people lined up. Chris Haynes is coming on next week. Nice. Um, so, yeah, just a bunch of different people. And, like, it's fun, man. It's enjoyable. You can find it anywhere that you get podcasts. Uh, just type in Positionless. It's kind of the only podcast name that. So, mm. um, yeah, man, it's been fun.
0: Sounds good, man. Um, again, you are from Portland, but you're not a Portland Trailblazer fan. You're more of a basketball fan in general, a fan of players. Um, you eventually cover the uh, the team afterwards, but I, I do want to start off with this. What, you know, what are some things that, that led to you to, be, you know, to become interested in the Portland Trail Blazers, a team, the franchise? Was it a moment? Was it a game? Was it a trade? You know, what, what set off you to say, you know what, I like this. I like the Blazer team and, it, it, you know, it's very interesting to me.
1: Yeah, so first of all, obviously, being in my hometown, a lot of people support the team. My grandparents have been supporters since, like, way before the 77 championship. I've actually got, like, the whole 77 championship team, autographs, pictures, the whole nine, mm. uh, like, collectible cups that they saved. I got a Wheaties box with Clyde Drexler on it. Like, I, I, don't, I don't know where this <laughs> stuff comes from, but, like my family had a lot of this stuff and they saved it. And yeah. so I've got, I've got it now in my basement. It's cool. Like I'll look at it, but like basically my, my family was a big reason why, you know, I used to go to their house and every, every week that I went to my grandparents' house, they'd have a blazer game on, like mm. no, no doubt about it. And like, if we're not talking about the Trailblazers, blazers, like there's nothing to talk about. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> it's, ba- it's a lot of blazer conversations though. Even, even now to this day, you know, I, I, go to their house every week on Sundays, and if a Blazer game's on, even if it's not on, like, oh, did you see the Blazers traded for this person? Or did you see it? What do you think about this? What do you think yeah. about that? Uh, so it's uh, th- that's really where it started. But like, uh, in terms of like the era, I mean, look, I was born in 92, to be honest. So um, my fandom or basketball fandom started when I was like four or five years old. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of the first – memories that I have is like 96, 97, 98. Um, The early years, kind of Blazers, you know, very tail end of a lot of like the real true, um, I'd say superstars of the, of these early Blazers teams. I mean, you're talking about uh, the Drexler trade, you know, mid season to the Houston Rockets. That's kind of where that started and watching Drexler play was like something crazy, but Mm. I'd say, honestly, there's a few different players that I was just, I just related to, or just felt like I related to, I mean, one of them, Arvinus Sabonis was just something I'd never seen before. Uh, And watching him play was just a treat. Like you felt like, I felt like I, you know, in a YMCA gym, when you're like going back and forth and uh, there's like that one guy always on, on the court and he's maybe 10 to 15 years older than everybody on the court. And you're sitting there like, this man can't do this. Like I, I, I should be able to guard him. Whatever you kind of just sit there and think in the back of your mind, or take uh, think that you can take advantage of him. Right. And when in all reality, he's the smartest guy on the floor by a mile, and he's making passes. And you know, he, he played in college along back in his heyday. That reminded me of Arvinus Sabonis, and so like I, I gravitated towards a guy like that. And then the other guy that I, I really loved to watch was Damon Stoudemire. Uh, mm. He was—I mean, look, he was just so undersized for his position at the time. Yeah. And, like, at that time, you're talking about guards that were around that just defensively were incredible. I mean, Gary Payton was around during that time. He had a lot of different guys that defensively were incredible players. And for Damon Stoudemire to kind of rise to to a near all-star level or all-star caliber level at the age and at the size that he was— um that gave me a lot of motivation because I was always the smallest guy on my basketball team. Didn't matter where I played, I was always the smallest and I always used to replicate Mighty Mouse. That's what they nicknamed him. And so for me like that's a guy that just, you know, I connected with uh and like I said because I was in Portland and had a bunch of family that was passionate about the team, it was hard for me not to be passionate about some of the players that were on the team and uh, some of the coaches and everything else. I mean, uh, you know, I'd say that's when it really started, somewhere between, like, 95, 96, and then mm. moving on past that, just I've always kept a close guy, close eye to the team that's, you know, in my hometown.
0: Well, you know what? Uh, you, you fit the norm of a fan, uh, of somebody who's from a particular city or state and becomes a fan or become uh, has likeness to that uh, team in, in, in that area. So for me, you know... Living growing up in New York, um, and, and for those who, who know me, know that I was not a, 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 a Nick fan, a New, New Jersey Net fan, I'm not a New York Giant fan, I'm not a New York Jet fan, um, <laughs> I, I, I'm not a fan of majority of the New York teams, Yankees and Mets. Uh, I don't watch baseball as much um, as, I, as I would like to, but when it came to basketball. You know, in that time frame that you told me about, you were born in, in ninety two. So at that time, I was already a Chicago, a Chicago Bull fan. I'm like yep. uh, nine years old, so I'm even dating myself. So I'm a lot older than you. Um, yep. So when you were born, they played in the finals that that year, Chicago and Portland. Yep. They were, you know, trying to get to the finals. Uh, prior, I think they went to 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 ninety NBA finals against Detroit. Uh, they went to the conference finals in 91 against the Lakers. So they were, they were a real battle tested uh, Western conference team in the late eighties and early nineties. For me, um, they were interesting because, you know, weird as it might sound, I'm a fan of like the logos of teams. So when I see your logo, I'm like, you know what? Like the old Maverick logo with the hat or the old, or the old T-Wolf or the old, Milwaukee Buck with the him you know with the basketball, so when I saw Portland, and I saw a whole bunch of lines and and me as a kid I'm like what like what is that <laughs> it's, I mean, like it, it's vertical lines it's it's red and, and white it's it's a black jersey it says Blazers I'm like what is what is a blazer and like now even you know for me I can I noticed that the logo now it's slanted compared to vertical I noticed little shit like that so that gravitated to me about the Portland Trailblazers team, uh, seeing, seeing them in the finals against Jordan and, you know, what he did against Clyde and, and, and that back-and-forth dynamic where who was the better two-guard. Um, Portland might have drafted uh, Jordan if they did not have Clyde on the team. Um, that was always a, a question in the back of many uh, NBA fans' mind. the whole Sam Bowie thing. So there was a lot of things going on with Portland, but I was always a Bull fan, to To the late, uh, the late 90s when they, you know, separated, and I became a Knicks fan, uh, from '99 on. So, you know, your road is different than mine, but you know, I, I am an I am a Knicks fan. Uh, I'm also, I mean, a basketball fan in general. Uh, I do a roof of players and stuff like that. But when it comes to one team, it is the Knicks, and hopefully they'll turn around soon. But I, I find Portland interesting because there's such a, there's so many things to talk about. You know, me in preparation for the podcast is I'm going from like maybe mid to late nineties all the way to maybe the mid two thousands where they were, you know, up and down could have been a champion. A lot of questions about what ifs and them, them turning the corner to where they at now, um, is a big difference than where they were, you know, almost 15, 20 years ago.
1: Yeah, no, you're, you're completely right on that. And it's interesting because I think a lot of, uh, people that know the Blazers know that this organization is is built in part due to what happened you know 15 20 years ago I think they're very afraid and cautious of the players they pick the players they draft Mm. the players they trade for the players they keep I mean it's why you know you don't really hear much rumblings of the Blazers trading away all their pieces you don't hear a bunch of uh, guys that are doing stuff wrong—they're not getting in trouble with the law. They're not getting in trouble in any way, shape, or form. These guys are—it's a completely different team, and I think a lot of that reason is because of the the, the late '90s, early 2000s era, and what kind of the Blazers and the city went through at the time. Because I think it's it, it's a it's a two-part deal. I mean, it, the city was also, I think, because of the Blazers not being successful. Um, was in a different place in time where they felt the need to lash out at these guys and get pissed off and boo during games. Mm. And it's very similar to like some of these teams now that are tanking or, you know, Philadelphia three, four years ago in the, in the quote unquote process, like those fans were not happy. You know, that's the same sort of thing. It's just a very different way of looking at it because the team was great. You know, (laughs) these teams were great even in the late nineties. Like people will look at these teams and I'm just saying that, you know, uh, I, when I was talking with Bonzi Wells about the, the Los Angeles Lakers and Western Conference Finals, I know we'll get there, so I don't want to spoil anything, but uh-huh. when I was talking to him about that, he's like, the NBA wanted them in the Finals. It's, it's, you know, that was that, <laughs> that's basically what he said, and it's, like, it's, it's really interesting to hear that side of it. But, yeah, this team impacted a lot of people, and uh, you know, there's been books written about it, things like that, but this team has just never really been covered, I don't feel, in the right light. Cause you know, even starting with the jailblazers name, I hate that identity for this team. I feel like a lot of it was a, a two, two part road or a, a, a you know, uh, two direction kind of situation where the fans were against the players and the team and the team was against the, the fans. And it just created this terrible atmosphere and uh, persona that wasn't necessarily there.
0: Yeah, um, I, I think for me, man, I, I, the the Blazers, I wouldn't say downward spiral, but I think a changing of the guard, a changing of the whole everything, kind of began with when they traded Drexler. You know, he was a you know, multiple time All Star, you know, later on Hall of Famer, um, did not win a championship with Portland, but then when he was traded to Houston, he won a championship with Alonzo and and, and and those guys, and um, you know, kudos to him. But I think. When you go from that, and for those who don't know, maybe you do know or uh, don't remember, but he was traded along with Tracy Murray for Otis Thorpe, Marcelo, Nicola, and a, and a 95 first-round pick. So, I mean, I don't know who Nicola is <laughs> until I look it up. But yeah, you could say, well, that was the beginning of a different era coming to Portland where they trade the franchise player. Um, I don't recall whether because he was getting older or he didn't, you know, did not want to be there. I, I don't recall, but to me, I, I start the changing of the guard with Portland when they traded Clyde Drexler.
1: Yeah, no, you're completely right. I think that definitely changed not only the outlook on the franchise for a few years, but it certainly showed kind of where they were at. Uh, it was, you know, the, the thing about it was it did seem like You know, very similar to this Golden State situation. You know, to put it into new terms, Mm. the Golden State Warriors are going to be in a new new arena next season, and the Blazers, uh, for a lot of people that don't know, they were moving from Memorial Coliseum to the Rose Garden, and Mm. so I think there was a huge shift in what was going to be displayed, how they wanted to start this new franchise, essentially at a new arena, and I think when you look at Clyde Drexler, his age. I think not only was it Clyde Drexler who wanted out at the time, I think that's was that's that been written and talked about, but uh, I think when you look at what the team was trying to do or accomplish, I think they were trying to set this sales pitch up to say, look, we're in a new arena, we've got a new team, come support us. And I think when you trade a star player like that, uh, it definitely sends a message. And maybe it's the wrong message, but... Uh, you know, at that time, I think the fans were definitely interested in what would happen, you know, um, and I, I, you know, look, they obviously didn't do as well without Drexler for the first few seasons. But, um, I think, I think that that was a huge change and you're right. That definitely set the tone for what would be the next decade.
0: I'm actually looking at the the Coliseum you mentioned. I totally forgot that they changed into the Rose Garden. I'm looking at it right now. And if you was if you was to, you know, visit Portland, <laughs> it, it looks like a regular office building. Like I wouldn't even know a team played yep. there. Yeah, it's
1: uh, It look. I've been there. They've done NCAA tournaments there and stuff like that the past mm-hmm. couple of years. It is a small gym. It's a small arena. It's old school. You know, they have hockey there. Or they have played hockey there. Right. Um, But it's not up to snuff. And when they built that Rose Garden, I know that there was a lot of different people, obviously upset, you know, because you change, but it was right across the way. Like if you're going to the Rose Garden, you can't miss the Memorial Coliseum. They're next to each other. So it's not like, you know, the Oakland situation where they're moving from Oakland to San Francisco or, you know, moving a couple miles across town or whatever. This was directly across the street. They just wanted something new, uh, something fresh. The building's, you know, it's still fairly old at this point, And, you know, it's a concrete kind of deal. It's not anything super fancy. But, um, you know, I think a lot of people get excited and amped up when you see a new arena come to town. And mm-hmm. whether it's across the way or just a mile or two across town, there, there's a difference. You know, there's there's going to be jaded opinions one way or the other.
0: Yeah, they won't. They won't do that here in New York, man. Not, they won't build you a new MSG. We'll just, you know, renovate and add a bridge inside the building.
1: <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Um, You're completely right. <laughs>
0: so, um, do you do you recall going to any Portland games in that Coliseum, and how often do you go to Portland games at the Rose Garden or now the Moda Center? Yeah.
1: So I went. Uh, I think my first game was at Memorial Coliseum. And then I went um, after that. It was essentially just the Rose Garden. And I remember watching quite a few games there because to be honest, during this jailblazers or quote unquote jailblazers era, a lot of people were, you know, the tickets were cheap. They were dirt cheap. You could go in, there was seats open. This place was not sold out. And I'd say there was a little time, obviously, I think that 99 2000 2000 2001 season where there was there was some demand for tickets and you could tell that the stadium kind of was reinvigorated because they were really really good but even then it just never felt like even today you know the, the the Moda Center is sold out most every game got people go to the games the team's competitive they're likable characters you know you can go there and feel good about who you're supporting and I think at the time there were a lot of people who were uh not happy. You know, like I said, a lot of the personalities on the team. You know, you had a guy like Rasheed Wallace getting technicals like every other game. Yeah. But but I think a lot of that was just the storyline or the narrative around it. Like I said, I, I just think that it was all misunderstood at the time. And I think when you look at journalism back then, whatever was written in the paper or whatever was written in Sports Illustrated or a magazine, that's what you read. There was no internet. So like you have no, you know, there could have been fake news back then, but nobody would have known. Mm-hmm. And I've had multiple conversations with Bonzi, Jermaine O'Neal, and they always felt like they got the bad end of the stick. They always felt like whatever they said, however they said it, came across as negative. And that's unfortunate. You know, I think a lot of the reason that it, you know, that that era was deemed that was because of the way people perceived it And obviously there's some stuff they got, they got in trouble with the law and and stuff like that. But yeah, I I think a lot of the time when we, especially when you look back on it, a lot of it was like marijuana. It's like, uh, charges and you're looking at it like, okay, (laughs) you know, these are basketball players. Yeah. They're making money, Mm -hmm. but at the same time, this is drug, you know, this is not, this is a drug that's now been legalized in a bunch of States. And I think people look back on it completely differently than what they did mm-hmm. when it was happening.
0: And for the record, I think you told me off the air that you know you did cover um, the Blazers for, for a couple of outlets, right? Yeah, I did.
1: So I covered the Blazers. I mean, this is not 2013, 14. This is you know later in life, obviously. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I have covered the Blazers. I've been to their practice facilities, spent a lot of time around some of the players. I've gotten to know a lot of the players pretty well. Nice. um and yeah man it's it you know they, look i've it, it it this team is completely different from what it was and working with the big three it's kind of cool because i get the opportunity to work with these guys that i used to grow up watching you know Bonzi wells jermaine o'neal now steve blake is another one that just signed up for the draft pool and uh, yeah like i said about both either way you go like i said these these are genuinely good people so when I look at these guys and I talk to them, and they're, they're just good, down to earth people, and I see what was written about this team, I just I, I cannot imagine them being that way. You know, obviously, they were younger, they probably made some mistakes, but
0: mm-hmm.
1: it really seems like the narrative, like I said, around this team early on was these guys are bad boys. They're out to hurt people, they're out to do things. They're not here to play basketball or play it the right way. I mean it was just and yeah when you have teams you have you know fights and arguments and things like that and it just seemed like this team was covered differently than any other team in the NBA
0: right um how often do you go back to the 99 series they 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 were in the Western Conference Finals against San Antonio um you know although oh. it was it was a lockout year so, you're not getting the full 82-game season. Everybody got 50. Um, it was Portland-San Antonio, Conference Finals, 1999. So, at that time, I was like a, a sophomore in high school. You were like seven. Um, <laughs> so now, <laughs> I remember
1: it. I, th- th- I'll be honest with you. Mm. That's like one of the series that I will still remember and recall. Ah. Sean Elliott. Yep. I, I, look, man. I'm telling you. <laughs> that shot and that moment. It was, it went like, you know, you see like the New England Patriots winning the Super Bowl a few years ago, coming Mm -hmm. back from behind for what, however many points and like the, the dismantling of all the Atlanta Falcons fans, like as that was happening, Mm -hmm. this is, this was much quicker. You go from like, they're going to win this thing. It's going to happen. And all my, I was, I I remember it vividly. I'm in my grandparents' uh, house. There's, uncles and brothers and everybody there were all sitting around and watching this game. And the last few seconds of that game, I just remember everybody being like, they won it. They did it. Like they didn't know, blah, blah, blah. And, and then Elliot burns them. And, uh, yep. I just remember everything being sucked out. Like the, the whole atmosphere, the excitement, happiness went completely dark. <laughs> And I just remember like, you know, not really anybody saying anything other than just like, wow, of course, you know, and uh, yeah, like I said, yeah, that 99 series against the uh, Spurs, that is that and the 2000. I mean, there's some really unlucky moments Mm -hmm. throughout this this time frame.
0: I mean, but listen, don't, don't don't feel <laughs> don't feel too bad because again, I was a Knicks fan, and then San Antonio goes on to the finals, and they play my yep. Knicks. Hey, but you know what? At least the Knicks beat them one time, unlike you guys. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. <laughs> I mean, listen, we had um, we did not have Ewing for that finals. He got hurt in the uh, Indiana series in the conference finals. So, I mean. In hindsight, you can kind of – you know, it's crazy that, you know, we're embarking on 20 years from all, all of that happening, 20 years from that Spurs-Portland series, 20 years from the Spurs-Knicks finals. Uh, kind of showed you how, how fast time goes. But uh, don't feel too bad, man. The, the Spurs beat us in five. They beat you guys. I think not know it, 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 would just, it was the beginning of, of a potential dynasty at that time. But, you know, that, that – you know, in your mind – did did Sean Elliott remain in bounds? Was it clear that he stayed in bounds, or do you think he kind of stepped out, or didn't call it, or do you think it was just a very lucky <laughs> shot?
1: I, you know, I, I give him credit for making the shot in the first place because that's a tough angle, it's a tough shot in that moment. Um, but at the time, we all certainly felt like he was out. Like that just was, you know, obviously you have a bunch of Portland Trailblazer fans in a in a household. Mm-hmm. They're going to think one way. But when you look at it over and over and you look at where the ref's standing and everything else and and just like the human error nature of just what happens. I mean, these things happen all the time. If you had video review and everything, maybe it's a little different. But, you know, after looking at it now and being a little bit more non-biased in my kind of approach, I can't really fault anybody. You know, it just happened. It was unlucky. And, you know, obviously everybody refers to it as the Memorial Day miracle, but it's just kind of, you know, something that I think stands for the start of something that was certainly not what I think a lot of people expected because I think a lot of people expected after that series that this team would potentially break down. And I really thought that this, uh, that team was done. Like when I saw that and the dejection and like everybody being disappointed You know, a lot of times teams you see these like devastating losses, Mm -hmm. and they never ever make it back. You know what I mean? Or they never get to that point. We talk about like the Houston Rockets last year, and they get they lose in Game Seven, and they come back next this next season, and they start off slow. And so I thought it was kind of like that, where this team would not be in that scenario again. And this was Mm -hmm. kind of a a moment to remember is that is that game winner? But you know, credit to them, they. They go out, and through all this time, the Blazers were win-now mode. Like you could just tell, they just wanted to continue adding pieces, and they were trying to do whatever they could to piece things together. Obviously, they get uh, Pippen, and you know they bring in a bunch of different guys. And I just, you know, like I said, I credit to them because the I think after that game, you thought this team is never going to be in that situation again, and then they get there and go one step further, obviously in the, in the Lakers series. So that's what I thought at the time.
0: And you mentioned, you know, you know, a lot of fans of Portland thought that, you know, I mean, you, you get to the Western conference finals, you get swept, you lose on a miracle shot in game two on the road. (laughs) And you kind of feel like, man, they're done. How can they come back? You know, who's going to come back? Are are they going to be different for the worse or for the better? And, they, they revamped to a degree, and to their credit, they did get back to the conference finals against the Lakers. But, but before that, they made the deal for, for Scottie Pippen, who was a rocket at the time. So that was, yep. the, first, that was the first domino. They also traded for Steve Smith, uh, who was in Great a, trade. Who was in Atlanta. Yeah, that was a
1: really good trade, by the way. That's, was, that's one that I will remember really right. vividly because um, Steve was – on both sides of the ball, just... Yeah. They needed somebody like that. Not just Scottie Pippen. Like, people credit Scottie Pippen for a lot of it, and and he does deserve it. But Steve was kind of a missing piece in this team in the way that not only he could shoot, uh, but his ability and, like, kind of veteran leadership at the time, at least, it just felt like he was better on defense than he had been previously. And it just all came together, man. It just was, like... It was something to watch. That mm-hmm. was a special. Th- this was a very special team.
0: Do you have any idea who Scottie Pippen was traded for? <laughs> you know, I'm trying to think
1: back. I can't even remember mm-hmm. who they who they traded for him. Uh, I don't. I don't remember what that trade was. Oh, I thought man. it was. I think a lot of people were shaking their heads, like, "How did we just get Scottie Pippen for this?" But I don't remember who was actually involved or what they traded him for. What was it?
0: Uh, Oliver, if I tell you these names, oh boy. Um, Scotty <laughs> Pippen to Portland for Kelvin Cato, Stacey Ogman, Walt Williams, Ed Gray, Brian Shaw, and Carlos Rogers. Great.
1: That, <laughs> <laughs> no, that, that's such a good... I mean, like at the time, obviously, I, I, I know that a lot of people were thinking Pippen, you know. Uh, I do remember that trade and, and people thinking, like, how much left does he have in the tank? You know, that was part of it. And uh, he sure showed, like, as a Blazer, he was well worth that package and much more. Uh, Like I said, he was the key addition in that offseason, but I think Smith's was underrated. But he definitely changed the franchise, too. Like, these two guys, like I said, when you lose to the Spurs and you get swept the way they did and they lose in game two on the buzzer beater and you just feel, like, this sense of just, uh, this is never going to be the same, Like You know what I mean? Like, we were never even close so they have to they, they have to go back and uh you just think that it's never going to be the same and and them going out and getting these pieces man uh i think it's very underrated in the scheme of like nba off seasons and taking a team that got swept back and showing people how far they could go
0: and then i mentioned um steve smith who uh came from atlanta and, that was for Ryder, right? In the J.R. Ryder and Jim yeah. Jackson deal. Yep. So now, you know, when when I mentioned JR. Ryder, um, again, he was up and down with Portland and a lot of you know off, off the court stuff. Uh, <laughs> kind of, you know, take me to 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 kind of stuff that he was dealing with and whether he got the bad rap for it or was it like well deserved of, of how everything was unfolding while he was in Portland.
1: Yeah, he was up and down. I think a lot of Portland fans liked him because he did. He was a pretty hard worker when he was on the court, and you could see it. The thing about Portland, and I think a lot of fan bases nowadays are like this. You know, with the Knicks, I think you probably would feel the same way. A guy that's like going off for loose balls and uh, grabbing re- defensive rebounds and really hustling on defense and like making things happen. Maybe it doesn't show up in the box score, but as a mm. fan, if you're really a basketball fan you see that energy and like that contagious kind of effect they have and you love it. So there were times where you saw Jr. and he was doing some of that stuff. And then there were times where you just knew that he wasn't happy, like nothing was going to change. He wasn't going to give his all. And I think at the time, I mean, he'd gotten in trouble. He'd gone through the law. He'd gotten some bad raps. And I think at that point, if you're Portland, you just had to say, look, we can't keep gambling on you, you know, and I think, that was a big reason for it, but um, yeah, his time was definitely up and down. Not really what I think people, a lot of people, expected when he came into this team.
0: Yeah, uh, I mean, anybody, you know, anytime you mention J.R. Ryder, you, you automatically think of Minnesota, the the, the slam dunk contest and yep. stuff like that. But you know, most <laughs> would like to forget his tenure with Portland, most would even re- recall the tenure with Atlanta more than more than Portland.
1: Yeah, no, no. He was not remembered in Portland at all. I think a lot of people nowadays point to point back to it or whatever, but uh, it was not a good time for him at all. And I think you look at the, just the contagious locker room atmosphere. I mean, it's a it, that was a. I'm telling you, there was so many people that were covering a small market team like Portland because of everything that was happening in the locker room mm-hmm. and the stuff that was being coming out. That. I just think that it's contagious and it's hard to work with. I mean, it's very similar to like social media nowadays. You know, if you got a, a ton of people talking smack or talking bad about you and you take it literally or personally, you're going to have a problem. And I think a lot of these guys dealt with their problems by going going into the, getting into the law or uh, getting in trouble in some way, shape or form, trying to find ways to just, get some release, you know, because I think a lot of the times they were under a lot of scrutiny and pressure when they didn't necessarily deserve it. And I think, like I said, guys do bad things, and I'm not condoning anything that they did. You know, a lot of these guys did stuff that is not going to be looked at in a good way. But I do think a lot of the times you can look back and say, man, this team was covered so negatively. That had to be hard on the other side, you know, in their shoes, getting i mean I, i'll use bonzi's example but i remember bonzi telling me he's told me over and over again uh they asked him what he thought of the fans booing and he said i i hate it and they took the quote and they said he hates the fans and that was not what he was saying oh wow what he was saying was i hated being booed you know <laughs> just like anybody would but they took the quote and ran it as mm. i hate the fans and so, at that time, there's no fact checking. You know, you just have the quotes, you have the recording on your recorder, and the journalist writes it, and that's it. It's done. It's out there. Everybody reads it. And nowadays, obviously, social media, you can kind of fact check a lot of this stuff. Back then, I, I don't think there was any any fact checking. You know, it was if you're at a reputable place like a, a newspaper, you believe it. And so, I think, like you said, a lot of that deterred players made them worse made them feel in a situation that maybe wasn't the best and to other players I think it motivated them and I even think that when they came back they were out to prove a point like that next year we talk about the the Pippen edition. I think that was huge obviously for the locker room because he had rings he had experience he had all that stuff that you wanted and then you mesh that with these guys that were pissed at the fans, at the team, at everything. They had lost to the Spurs. They got swept, and they had a chip on their shoulder. And I think, yeah, like I said, they did a tremendous job not only acquiring Pippin, but then getting Steve Smith and getting that team to kind of just, man, that, like I said, one of the best teams, in my opinion, and this is, obviously it comes with a little bit of bias because I, I watched a lot of the games, but one of the best teams not to win, a, not to win an NBA championship, without question in my mind.
0: So we have Pippen. We have Steve Smith. Now you're you you you're, you're taking them and putting them together with who, who's already there. Rasheed Wallace, Arvita Sabonis. You have the 1996 Rookie of the Year in uh, Mighty Mouse, Damon Stoudemire. And then you mentioned Bozzie Wells, who fills up the bench with him. Detlef Shrimp, Brian Grant, Greg Anthony. Uh, I, I assume Stacey Altman came, came back. Um, and Jermaine O'Neal before he became and all-star with with Indiana. So when you when you mention all those guys and Western Conference, uh, yeah, the, the Spurs are the defending champions. You you know, as a fan, you got to say man, like, you know, not only we can not only that we can get there, we can win it. And outside of San Antonio, maybe the Lakers with, with Shaq and Kobe, that's really it. So in your mind and in the Portland fans' mind, did they feel like the 2000 team was the best chance that they have of winning a championship in that era?
1: Yeah. And, and you can talk to the guys that were playing in it. Jermaine O'Neal, Bonzi, Damon, Steve. All these guys felt like they were going to win it. All these guys felt like they were there. They'd proven it. They'd done it. They did it throughout the season. I mean, it's the second best record, I think, in the in the league that year. And they had guys that were just coming off the bench and just, it it was such a deep, talented team. And you look at some of these names, I mean, Rashid Wallace in his prime, mm. Arvina Sabonis at the tail end of his career, right. Steve Smith, Damon Stoudemire, Greg Anthony, Brian Grant, obviously, was a huge, I think he was a massive impact guy. I mean, he had, uh, he was like that workhorse that we talk about. You know, I compare him a little bit to Ed Davis in the sense that, you know, he just comes off the bench, does the dirty work, grabs all the boards and rebounds, gets the putbacks. And, you know, he was just one of those guys. He came in, blue collar, just get in, hustle, dive for loose balls, play hard-nosed defense. These guys were good. And then you looked at, even in the future too, Jermaine O'Neal was young. Coming out of high school, everybody I knew thought he would be a superstar. Like, thought he was going to be the next big thing. He was drafted high, obviously. And, yeah, that that was like, you didn't see much of him, but you knew he was there, right? And you knew that the future was bright because he was young, because he had, you know, this pedigree, because he was drafted high. And, uh, I mean, we'll probably get into it, but, yeah, mm-hmm. he was traded
0: <laughs> yeah,
1: <laughs> uh, before his prime, before he would even get a chance, really. And I remember talking to uh bonzi about this too and jermaine they didn't think he was getting traded like he was showing signs of improvement after this offseason after this year they made it to the, the the western conference finals against the lakers and uh they just didn't think it was going to happen like they thought okay this guy's the guy of the future so bonus is on his way out at some point you know and unfortunately they trade him and and they tried to do the same thing they'd done the past few years win now and instead of keeping the guy that probably would have been best for this team, uh, they opt to trade him, and and that's you know that was unfortunate to see. But yeah, this team was it was built uh, to beat the Lakers. I mean, that's that was their whole goal was to go through and beat these guys. And uh, you know, credit to the Lakers for making that comeback, but that was as close a series as you can ask, uh, especially in a game seven. I mean, I don't know if you can have much more of a point swing than what happened in that game seven against the Lakers too.
0: Um, I, I'll get I'll get into game seven in a second, but as a as a Portland native and you know you're you're around the fans more than, more, more than me. Does it does it kind of bother you guys that? When you have guys here and they go somewhere else and they become successful, they become champions. For example, you saw Rashid Wallace become a champion with <laughs> Detroit. You see Steve Smith become a champion with San Antonio. You see, um, you know, Jermaine O'Neal become a six-time all-star. Does that kind of bother you where, like, we, we had these guys in their prime. We had them. We did not keep them. But when they go somewhere else, they become very good, even better all-stars and even champions.
1: Yeah, I mean, actually, I think it didn't surprise a lot of people. When that Rasheed Wallace trade happened, everybody sat back and said, okay, you know, he's going to win a championship, or that was a good possibility. A lot of these guys, like I said, I think they were thrown a lot of shade, and they were dealing with a lot of stuff here. And, you know, it's a small... Back in the day, Portland was not a big market. Portland was one of the smallest markets probably in the NBA at the time. And the things that you could do uh back then there wasn't a lot of it uh, that e- there, that exists today you know it, we've got tons of different things that you can do now that you couldn't do back then and I think that's part of it you know because there wasn't much else to do aside from basketball or get into trouble and I think a lot of these guys resulted in or reverted back to getting into trouble because they were frustrated man and I, I don't blame them I mean, when people are covering you and you're one of the best teams in the NBA and they're still saying stuff about you, I mean, Rasheed Wallace, I'll take an example. He would regularly sit out of postgame pressers, regularly swear, regularly get mad and frustrated and upset at what people were saying. And he got a really bad rap. And I think a lot of that came from what happened in the media, what stemmed in the NBA, what stemmed from all the referees giving them technicals. I think he created a persona similar to what you see with DeMarcus Cousins and the fact that referees know that he gets frustrated. And so when they irk him just a little bit, they're going to give him a technical. His leash, per se, is not as big as anybody, as other players in the league. And I think that's what happened with Rashid Wallace. And then you put on top of that the criticism that this team got. And I think that was a heavy weight on a lot of these guys' shoulders. So you see a kid like Jermaine O'Neal come in. He'd never been covered like this before. And he's coming in and he's getting bad-mouthed by the media. People are saying bad things. This draft pick's so high, yet he can't get a play. Um, he can't get on the court. you know. Or, or there was even criticism, I think, at a time where, you know, <laughs> very similar to a lot of these high draft picks now, they're under a microscope. So any bad thing that he did on the floor was in the newspaper the next day. And so a guy like him, you immediately get dejected. You go from this confident, young, budding, potentially great player mm-hmm. to screw this. I don't like playing. I, I don't want to play for these guys. I don't want, I don't want to deal with it. And I think when they leave and they see coaches respect him or fans respect him or see the, you know, or, you know, on the opposite side of it, They get motivation for it, just like I'm going to use the example of Damian Lillard. Put more fuel to the fire, and he's just going to continue to use it. And that's what he's done. You know, he has a chip on his shoulder. He was drafted behind a lot of these guys that he felt he was better than. And he used it as motivation. And when people say he's not an all-star, he uses it as motivation. And these guys did the same thing, but they didn't do it in the time that they were Blazers because I, I think it was too hard to overcome for a lot of these guys. And so when you see them branch out and they go to a new team, they say, okay, fresh start, I'm going to work hard, I'm going to get in there. So it's a combination of things. I think it's a combination of, you know, obviously the fans, the media, the criticism they got. And then secondly, I think it's a combination of just uh, having the right coaching staff and players around them and people that were, you know, positive about their experience. And I think that, like I said, Portland fans knew it was coming. I, I knew it was coming the day they traded them. I felt like that trade was a a terrible decision by the organization, and I still feel that way. But you see how it turns out, obviously. Jermaine goes on to be a huge success in Indiana. He becomes a multi-time all-star. The Blazers go another direction, and and that really, I think when you talk about Clyde Drexler being traded, signaling the change in that late 90s years, when Jermaine was traded, I think that really turned this team into something else, and it turned it into not a positive, but a, a negative for this team.
0: Would you like to know who you guys got back for Jermaine O'Neal?
1: I believe it was Dale Davis, if I'm not mistaken.
0: <laughs> and uh, we know how that ended. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I mean, not Dale, great. Yeah,
0: Let's yeah. put it that way. I mean, yeah, All Star, but yeah, he wasn't. Though he was
1: on the very tail end of his career, right. and people knew it and they knew it was, you know, it's very similar to like uh, a smaller end of the what the Brooklyn Nets did with the Boston Celtics. They went for win now, right? They had this team that won a bunch of games, and they had Joe Johnson, and they, you know, get a bunch of pieces, and then they go out and get Paul Pierce and Kevin Garnett, and you're like, okay, their window is now yeah. or never, right? Because in two years, this team is not going to be here. Mm. And unfortunately, it just didn't work out. You know, the, the guys were past their prime, and that just unfortunately was – was what happened, you know? So I think, uh, yeah, you're right. Um, They went for a win now. I mean, credit to them. They did that every single season, it felt like. Mm -hmm. But it finally turned a corner for the worst. (laughs)
0: And, and like, you know, at the time, J.O. was, you know, 22. uh, (gasps) You know, not even near its prime. Still still a young basketball player. Then he goes into Indiana. Again, the six-time All-Star to make the playoffs in – six out of eight years and for, for I think his career in in Indiana was you know on average uh 19 and 10 in two blocks so you know just imagine you had that guy in the western Conference anchoring your your your, your front court but you know Portland is not the only team that, that that has given up on somebody too early we we've all seen it with probably every NBA team but he was like an outlier where he goes somewhere else. And it's like, wow. And you know what? He got to Indiana, and it wasn't like, you know, it took him two, three, four years. It, it was it was right away. Instant. It was instant. Instant, instant uh, perfection and uh, playoffs and all-star. And if you look back at it, if I tell someone, hey, do you know Jermaine O'Neill started five all-star games or six, whatever it is? You look at me like, really? Like, I know he made it, but he started? Like, yeah, people voted for this guy. <laughs> to be in the All-Star game because he was doing work in, in the Eastern Conference because he did not get the playing time or d- did not get that chance in Portland.
1: Yep. No, you're right. And uh, I'll tell you this. I remember speaking with another Blazers player in that era, and he told me Jermaine in practice was working dudes. Mm. And the coach was reluctant to put him into the starting lineup. Because they had, obviously, Sabonis and these guys who had been there, done that, veterans. You know, you're not going to—it's it's a tough situation, right? You know, you're not going to pull these guys that have been starting for years right. when they've been doing work and, do, and doing good things for your team and say, here, young 22-year-old, take the keys and, and run with it. So they tried to implement him a little bit. But from my understanding, like, this guy was completely head and shoulders above every other guy that was there, and guys knew it. And I think that's another thing that, uh, you know, when you're a player on a team, you need to know that your coach is looking out for everybody. And when you're playing a player that may not be to the caliber of someone else, I think players can read into it, and they see like, you know, some of the some of the stuff that happens behind the scenes that uh, maybe shouldn't be. And so that may be another reason why a lot of these guys left or took off is they see you know the coaching side of things, and they say. Yeah, we're not playing the best five, you know what I mean? So I, I think a lot of that is really interesting to see. And I, like mm-hmm. I said, I, I was not for one bit shocked because Jermaine never really got a full chance at all. And it's, it, you know, it's very, it, I'd say it's very similar to kind of Oladipo's situation. You know, you go back even further, some of the other guys that have been traded and you've looked at it like, how is this the trade? Like, you know, this doesn't make sense at the time. Right. And then you realize, oh, wow, this guy is talented. And he's just never been used right. So, uh, yeah, that trade really signified a lot for this this organization, though. It was a win-now move, but it was a win-now move for a season. And it didn't turn out to where they wanted it to.
0: Uh, taking you back to, to 2000, uh, that series, Game 7, um Again, w finished with the second best record in the Western Conference behind the Lakers. LA with the with the one C home court advantage. Um, I gotta tell you, when LA is up three one, and then you know, you, you get you get all these trades, you get Pippen, you get Steve Smith, and you have all this roster, and then you, you you know, you beat Minnesota in round one, you beat Utah in round two, you get LA, you get that matchup everybody wanted, and out the gate you're down three one. And it's like like, shit, really? Like, are we, are we going to go through another year of, you know, could have, should have, would haves and what ifs at the time? Take me to where you guys are down 3-1. Did you guys think that you were out? And, you know, how how in the world did you guys, you know, did, did they get it to, to, to a 3-3 series to even force a game seven?
1: Yeah, I think the Lakers took their foot off the gas. I think a lot of it was that um because the Blazers were particularly I don't rem- I don't recall them playing any any better really I just it felt like the Lakers were playing kind of lackluster defense at times the team was pulling off some amazing upsets and wins at, the, at that time but like everything seemed to click at the right time in the right moment but then obviously you look at what happened in game 7 and uh you know that, that those Lakers teams were incredible they were really good but on the other side of things, you look at like what happened with the NBA referees during that time and the allegations that occurred. And I think the NBA, you know, as as controversial and just like questionable as this may seem, I think the NBA truly gave the Blazers the opportunity to then take it away from them in game seven. I, I think that was that was part of the deal. I think the NBA at the time was definitely not where it needed to be ratings-wise. And I think adding the extra games in there helped the playoffs, helped the ratings. And, you know, obviously that's the, that's the, the, the season where you have, like, the controversy, the, the questions about the calls and what happened. But like I said, I think the Lakers were the better team. And I think every Trailblazer fan— would be fooling you if if they said otherwise. I think they were the better team that year. However, the Blazers did have a lot of veteran guys. Man, they just never gave up. You know, and you look at some of the players they had on that team, and even even with guys that were that had left or taken off, uh, they had some really key pieces that you know were valuable, but. Uh, Los Angeles was just d- the better team.
0: <laughs> so, d- uh, in your mind, do you think the, the the referees were favoring the Lakers or do you think they, they were favoring the fact that they wanted that series to go on longer to be a game seven? I mean, you know, which, which, which side do you do? Do you lean on?
1: I you know, it's interesting because, uh, Bonzi and Jermaine will tell you this too. Uh, they didn't want the Blazers in the in the finals. And they didn't want them anywhere near that. Uh, they wanted the Lakers in there, and we know the story. Obviously, well, I forget his name, but um, gosh, uh, one of the referees obviously gets called out for gambling on the side or whatever in those series. Um, and I think that's. I, I would say that the the league wanted to make it not as obvious. You know, or the referees wanted to make it not as obvious that they were playing on these games. And I think that's probably the reason ultimately. But you know, it's there's still a chance that this just this would have happened either way. Um but the way the Blazers played, especially leading up to that playoff series, they had they had gone on a pretty decent run of games. And I know that, you know, they, they won a lot. Of games that season obviously being second in the in the league and standings and stuff like that but um, I, I think ultimately that's a really good question but I, I think ultimately the league kind of wanted both in some way shape or form and I think it's ultimately on the referees that obviously the guy who was betting on the games had a big factor in making this thing play out however he wanted it to
0: yeah Tim Tim Donahue right that's it Tim Do- yep um, yep I've always felt I know this would be a different topic with somebody else and on a different show. But um, for me, you know, when you mentioned the referee, we, you can't, you know, just forget about the whole L.A. Sacramento series. And, you know, nope. it could have it, it, it should have been Sacramento in the NBA finals um, against New Jersey. And it, it, it could have been it should have been Portland and uh, Indiana at that point. Um, you know, I I I don't want to rush through um to that, but you're in Game Seven, you're up fifteen. It's it's probably one of the most uh most high-profile Game Sevens ever in in NBA history. Up fifteen on the road, fourth quarter, and they're just like a a, a freaking meltdown from the team. They couldn't stop it. I think Rasheed had like one bucket in that little run to kind of stop it, but yep. it just wasn't enough. And he had Kobe with you know with the lob to Shaq. And, you know, you get that that play in that environment, Staples Center, the first year. I think Staples Center was even used for the Lakers, uh, because they were in the forum the year prior. So it's everything's brand new. And even the Lakers at a point where they had Kobe and Shaq for quite some time and there were some doubters like, "Hey man, we got Shaq four years ago. It was two thousand. We got him in ninety six, and we haven't really done much. We we got Kobe in that same draft, but it's four years already. You know, how long is it going to take for them to to really click and, and bring a championship? So even with them, same as Portland, they had a lot of questions to answer. Like you know, when can we win a championship with with this roster and with the Lakers? And then you know, also they're bringing Phil Jackson. It's like, okay, how long will it take for Kobe and Shaq to? To win the title, so on both sides of the fence, they they were doubters on both. So obviously, yeah. you know, LA had the upper hand with the win, but I mean, I tell you, man, it just you know, if you hypothetically speaking, if Portland wins that game, um, you may not see a, a Laker dynasty with Kobe and Shaq. Um you know really good point you know Shaq really Kobe one one might get traded or you know some other pieces start falling um so even with that then you get you might get Indiana and Portland Does, does Portland win the NBA title in that year if they get Indiana in that year I think they do uh, you know you know the way Indiana played against LA, they, they, they just weren't a match to them. They, I, don't, I know they won two games, but if you take them, if you take them in Portland in, in a seven-game series, I think Portland would have won that in six. So that game seven, whether it's the referee, is the meltdown, it kind of robbed them of a championship and a whole bunch of questions of how it could have changed the course of, of NBA history that night.
1: No, without question, and I think that is one of the pinnacle moments i think in blazers history and and, i mean honestly nba history just looking back you look at the kings like you mentioned what if uh there's a lot of what ifs with this organization in this time and in general with the nba like what happens to this laker team like you mentioned uh kobe was kind of a Young, budding, growing into a superstar. Shaq was already kind of there. Mm-hmm. But it was it was still to be foreseen, like, how they would mesh or work together. And, you know, obviously, you just see kind of what happened and how it transpired. And, uh, yeah, that comeback, it felt like they never had a point in the fourth quarter, uh, the Blazers. It just felt like everything went the Lakers' way. And... I have very similarly to like these the Eastern Conference and Western Conference finals we had last year with Boston you know <laughs> basically missing every opportunity they had and then with Houston missing every opportunity they had and Golden yeah. State kind of taking advantage it felt very similarly to that where it was just like how is this possible how is this happening except with the Lakers the thing that was so interesting is it just you know when Portland's up 15 and they'd won two straight games, you just feel like the momentum is switched, right? And everything just swung in their way. And at that point, you're sitting there like, okay, we've got this. You know, There's very little chance that the Lakers have any way of trying to make a comeback. A 15-point deficit in the fourth quarter is, I mean, I I just think it's almost out of touch, even for the Warriors this year, I mean, like for, for the past few years. Mm -hmm. 15 points in the fourth quarter is a tough task and we've seen it time and time again where the warriors can make the comeback but back then guys were really playing hard-nosed defense this wasn't the same league that it is now and so to be able to come back from that it's i mean it's remarkable uh but you do have question marks i know there were a lot of questionable calls throughout that late fourth quarter period and i think honestly the Blazers defied the odds to a point. I think even the officials and, you know, Donahue and everything else that happened there were probably even surprised that that was where they were at. So it may have made it look more obvious that they had tried to potentially rig the game in some way, shape or form. I, like I said, I don't know if it's necessarily true and I hate to kind of sit back on that and look Mm. as if, as a, what if, because it seems like you're making an excuse, but the facts are there. That is, year donahue donahue was making moves he was doing things and the kings as he mentioned you know that those two series in the western conference were his deal and uh it is a really interesting what if
0: um when was the last time you saw game seven
1: <sighs> probably a year ago
0: because you wanted to see it because it it was something that you wanted to go back and check it out or what made you go back and check it out um
1: i think you know honestly the first time i wanted to check it out was probably whenever that donahue kind of came out i think it was probably three years ago maybe four Mm -hmm. years i don't know maybe it's longer than that now right but when that came out i wanted to go see it again to see what his impact was but a year ago i was actually looking to see like was and this was totally off topic really but was Kobe better as young Kobe or Mm. what is he better as, you know, Kobe without Shaq. And, uh, that was what I was looking for. And so when I watched that game again, you know, obviously it brings back memories, but, um, there is a huge question mark there of like, was Kobe better with Shaq in that moment or was he better off doing it the way that he ended up doing it, you know, without Shaq kind of shouldering a lot of the load uh, at the time, it felt like Kobe was kind of the second fiddle to Shaq. You know, Shaq was just such a dominant force in the post, and at the time, post play was at a premium. That was what people were looking at. So Kobe was kind of like the Robin to uh, Shaq's Batman. Mm-hmm. So when I go back to that series, I look at it and I'm like, man, he could have been the Batman, but he he opted not to be. And I almost like that Kobe more than I did Mamba mentality, Kobe essentially you know uh, right. the guy who just took everything on his shoulders one-on-one and did whatever he wanted to that's fun to watch and all but I, I as a guy who loves team basketball and loves seeing guys like take different roles uh seeing kobe back then was something special i mean that guy was just you could tell everything that he had in him and it just was it was fun to watch
0: i mean out of it i you know again, don't feel too bad because, again, at the same time, on the Eastern Conference side, I'm a Knicks fan, and, and I look at the Knicks as, at that time, like, I think we were better. We were, um, you know, we more healthy, and I felt like, you know, we did not get the job done against San Antonio in 99, but everybody's back a, uh, a full year, like a full 82 games with Sprewell, with Houston and Ewing and those guys. Um, I felt like we could take down indiana but unfortunately they beat us in six and that you know again to me on, on the nick side i was like the beginning of like the tail a little decline of how successful we were going to be in the playoffs going forward because after that we, we made it in 01 and then it's been sporadic ever since so you know at the time i wanted new york and la in the finals because again it's in new york and it would have been fun yeah you, you had the new york with the ewing and Starks not stark uh spreewell and houston against Shaq and Kobe, and you know the, like a real east and west kind of uh finals if it was portland i'll be good with that but um big uh, market would have been cool though i mean i get where
1: you're going with that la yeah. new york doesn't happen very often yeah. in a finals in any sport
0: that's definitely one of the um you know, mishaps that I feel the NBA. and Again, it's, it's not their fault, but just, you know, it could it, it, it would have been nice. It could have been nice in New York and L.A. So we losing six, you guys losing seven. Um, you know, a question about the referee and the calls and how it affected you guys going forward. I think, you know, even to this day, man, whether they admit it or not, I think game seven, uh, L.A., Portland, had a very lasting effect on their franchise. I want to ask you. I mean, does it still have an effect, or did did that effect end quite a while ago? But I like okay, how long did that game seven loss affected? I know we're getting to to uh, uh, other things later, but how long did that game seven loss to Portland affected the franchise?
1: Huge, it changed for the next ten years. I'd say you just felt like they were always trying to. trying to find ways to live up to that potential. And it never was ever there again. That's what it felt like to me. And you get new coaches coming in. I mean, obviously, Murray's Cheeks comes in. Dunleavy's fired. You know, that's a year later, obviously. But, you know, it it just felt like everything started to take a downturn. And the offseason trades they made, you know, you mentioned the Jermaine O'Neal one goes to the Pacers. Brian Grant was a big one I remember at the time too because you know with every team you have those workhorse guys that guys fans just gravitate towards they love them and they're not guys who are putting up big numbers they're not all stars but you just love them when they come in you just support them cheer for them love the way they play and it just connects with those people that are blue collar guys you know anybody who works in a blue collar job and works their butts off and you know just feels like they do it to the best of their ability, can relate to those people. And I think Brian Grant was one of those guys. So he goes off. He signs with Miami. Uh, I think he wins a championship, too. And uh, they replaced him with Sean Kemp. I I remember that. And that kind of... You know, the, the team played well that next year, you know, through 2001. But, like, after that, I just remember there was tons of just scrutiny, criticism uh everything like the team just wasn't really gelling and uh that was kind of when everything down, took a downturn like that season obviously right after that Lakers loss but then the season going into uh 2001 too you you just re- recall and remember everything that happened and it just showed that that team was kind of the last of its time you know that was it and the the GM the coaches they went through you could just tell that it was like a panic button and they didn't know what to do it was like all this stuff and uh everybody was mad at the coach and the players started getting chippy and Mm -hmm. it just felt like you would never see that sort of
0: team come back um so you know essentially that you feel like if 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 it was paula indiana in the finals that you have Portland winning that that series, right? Yeah, I would have Portland
1: winning it. Yeah, I, I, you know, like I said, I was a pretty firm believer that whoever came out of the West that year was was the better team. Didn't matter if it was Portland or L.A., you know what I mean? I just think that that was uh, part of it.
0: Right. Um, so we, we, we get rid of that series. Uh, we kind of fast forward through a whole bunch of things you just said uh, to kind of get where we want to just kind of you know, put a ball on it where J.O. goes to Indiana, Brian Grant to Miami, they trade for Sean Kemp, they even signed, uh Ross Strickland, Mike Dunleavy gets fired for uh, their Mo Chiefs coming in, uh, Steve, Smith, Steve Smith, who they acquired in 2000, uh, goes to San Antonio for Derek Anderson. They sign Ruben Patterson. They draft uh, Zach Randolph. They they draft Sebastian Telfair. They trade Rasheed to Atlanta. He get, he gets a championship. So a whole bunch of things going on in Portland. Um, real quick, the you know after Game Seven, they they go to the playoffs in 01. They get swept by LA, first round. They go to the playoffs again in 02. They get swept. First round to LA, <laughs> so he, you know,
1: same thing over the, and over. Yeah, that, that was the that and, and I'll actually illustrate that too. Uh, that was the moment if they were going to beat them that two thousand year, that was the moment for them. Yeah, and they, yeah. them not getting over that hump, uh, made them pay years later. Mm-hmm. Like that destroyed the confidence of that team, and I think in general that. That built the dynasty that you see today. Like you said, the Kobe Shaq dynasty. That was it. Right. That was your moment to win, and you didn't. And you didn't take that chance. You didn't win. And from then on, you just knew that that team was better than yours. That was it.
0: So they lose to L.A. three years in a row in the playoffs, conference finals, first round, first round, two sweeps. They lose in seven to Dallas in first round. And then we don't see Portland in the playoffs till 2009. Oliver, uh, that, that must have been a real um, yep. That's a big gap. But again, my Knicks have a bigger gap. It's, oh yeah. <laughs> so you know don't feel too bad. But um, no. Uh, how was it? How how bad was it to see Portland not in the playoffs uh, for six years, probably nowhere near the playoffs, and then kind of kind of you know turn the tide. In two thousand nine, even even to now where they're currently in the playoffs, you know, every every year.
1: It was terrible, man. I mean, it was just every year it felt like they were trying to put things together and it just never worked out. And they drafted guys, and you'd be kind of excited about who they drafted, and then you'd realize they drafted the wrong guys. And so that's that's funny to me. Uh, you know, that's that's interesting. Uh just the fact that they continually whiffed they continually missed and they kept hiring new coaches and gosh it just felt like year after year after year and then (laughs) and and then uh i do recall a time when people were thinking to themselves is this team going to stay here because that was another thing that came up because of kind of what had happened the team just being all you know it was wild and crazy for a few years there. I do remember people thinking, like, what's going to happen? Uh, I know that the – I think there was, like, a bankruptcy somewhere in between. And that obviously hurt the team and, and what had ended up happening. And they just – they never, ever got back to that point. Uh, it took a long time. And so when you're looking at the team now, I, I th- and I've said this for years now, you know, there's a lot of Blazer fans out there that think, Let's burn this thing up. Let's trade CJ for another big piece. Let's try and win the now. And I always suggest to fans, like, take what you have and don't take it for granted. This Blazers team has made the playoffs the past few years. You know, granted, they're not the number one seed, but they're a team that's likable. They're a team that does stuff well. Mm -hmm. Uh, They're good in the community. They're young. They're continuing to grow together. And for me, like, Appreciate that because it could be taken away if you do something like that. If you do an irrational move or a button press move, I just don't know if that really helps you. I mean, people are talking about Anthony Davis here right now. And you sit there and you look at the team and you look at what they give up. It's like Nurkic, CJ, half their team, just like the Lakers or anybody else. And to me, like, and everybody has their own opinion, right? But to me, why... Why go for gusto for a 12 month period when you have these guys locked up and you have good people doing good things? Not, you know, not having other aspirations. Um, you have no idea whether these players that you bring in are going to stay, are going to be the right fit, are going to be the right thing. And right now, you have a good thing going. You know, you don't need to reinvent the wheel. You know, adding a Rodney right. Hood or adding some other little pieces. I think that's all the Blazers can do at this point. And maybe they've put themselves in a little bit of that position with the cap situation and kind of where they're at right now. But Blazer fans now, I think, are so, uh, you know, if they've grown up in this era, they forget how times are great in comparison to what they were 10 years ago. And I think a lot of people forget that time. And that's why it's important to bring these things up. And I think that's why, you know, I appreciate you, like, going back into the weeds on a lot of this stuff because people don't remember or vividly remember or have that picture painted of what it could be like right now are guys gonna go, are guys gonna go out and get you know get in trouble with the law as much as they did no <laughs> you know but like I think a lot of the same things are true though you know you could really damage your franchise uh, and you know I'm not saying that going out and getting Anthony Davis is the wrong move or going out and getting a superstar is the wrong move but I think appreciate what you have and until something changes like let let it be you know enjoy it and I think a lot of people in the NBA overall are underappreciative of teams that continually make the playoffs that's tough to do it's tough to keep guys together it's tough to keep the positivity and the the momentum going and to try and change things and and still be good so for me like you see this era and people are like why can't they make a move why can't they go out and get this big player why can't they do this Think about what they went through and what everybody sees. And if they make a move like that, and it turns out to be similar to these situations where you don't make the playoffs or you're out of, out of the hunt or the player leaves in a year, you know, you're know you back to square one. And I can't imagine a fan base, You know, right now, you're selling out. I can't imagine a fan base going to games when they're not in the playoffs or in the hunt. So right. for me, it, it makes a lot of sense. You know, seeing what they've been through and what they've been burned by, and seeing what they're doing now. And uh, it's just interesting. You know, like I said, I think a lot of teams operate that way. You see what the Warriors did early on, and now what they do now. I think they learn from their mistakes and they kind of t- maybe trend too much the o- other way, but that's fine. And players need to understand that.
0: You know what, real quick, I think regardless of everything that happened with Portland, the ups and downs, the playoff woes, and Jail Blazers, you, you know you're the only team that had the Kobe stopper. Yep, <laughs> it's true. Ruben Patterson, it's true. <laughs> oh, that's man. that's one thing you can take away from it. Exactly, Ruben Patterson and him, him and Zach Randolph going at it, and that was that, that was a fun time, man. I mean, you, you can never you can never get that back, right? <laughs> no, you cannot. You cannot get that back. And I think
1: I I, I would push. Everybody to go watch that series and just see how great that was.
0: Yeah, man. I, I, yeah, I think it was the 03 Mavs first round. You know, you, this conversation is going to make me watch. Try to find the the the, the whole two thousand Western Conference final. I know they got Game Seven somewhere around here, but try to find the, the older games and just try to relive the memories of you know from back in the day and you know people like you who cover teams and are, are, are real basketball fans. You know, we we can't talk about stuff that's, that, that's going on today without kind of paying homage to what happened back in the day, whether it's a good thing or a bad thing. You know, a lot of monumental moments that happened 15, 20 years ago that was being covered on a daily basis. Like, Oliver, just imagine the Jailblazers story happening in today's social media. Like, it, it just... Yeah, it'd be nuts. It'd be nuts. Twitter it, would be it'll, shut ne- down. it'll never go away.
1: <laughs> Every day, it'd be something new, man. I'm telling you. I mean, when those stories broke at the time, I remember people talking about them, but... I can't imagine social media being around back then. It'd be hilarious. I mean, it'd be a spectacle. It'd be something to watch. And uh, yeah, no. It, like I said, I, I, I don't. Like I said, I don't think that'll ever happen again because of you know obvious obvious reasons. But <laughs> uh, you're right, man. It would be nuts. It would be insane to watch this team go through the social media age. Mm.
0: Um. Last question. I, I know you got to run. Uh, but first of all, I greatly appreciate you coming on. Great talking with you. I know we'll, you know, find a different topic or a different team down the road to get you on again. Um, Just a question that came to my mind. You mentioned Rasheed Wallace earlier. Great career, champion, Hall of Famer. What do you think?
1: Bonafide Hall of Famer. If you look at his numbers, you look at what he did, you look at the teams that he was on, I ultimately think, like, the Basketball Hall of Fame is pretty easy to get into. Guys like Dwight Howard deserve to be in. Why not Rashid? I mean, Rasheed was like one of the anchors of that Detroit Pistons team, one of the best defensive teams I've ever seen. Uh, you know, you have Ben Wallace, one of the best defensive guys in his prime, on top of Rasheed, Chauncey, all the different names on those rosters, Prince. I mean, as far as I'm concerned, that whole team deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. Mm-hmm. Uh, that whole starting five at least because, uh, yeah, like I said, I mean, he just, and, and what's interesting about him is he made an imprint on the game and he fought through a lot and we saw it here in Portland, obviously, I mean, most technical fouls every single season for like two or three years and, uh, somehow, you know, he was still argu- arguably one of the best players on those teams that went to the Western Conference Finals that was on those teams. And I never understood why people were always frustrated by him. You know, I, I you know, I, I, get, I get it. I, I, I did get it. Mm-hmm. But to me, it just felt like uh, if you looked at the game and you looked at what he did and looked at how he was trying to play, uh, refs would call fouls that just, you know, I, I could see where you could get frustrated. And I think he just he grew frustrated and tired in his time with the Blazers uh, because of the the criticism. But at the same time, like I said, I think a lot of Blazer fans still appreciated what he did and how he played. And if you just watch how he played, he was—I think he's one of the most underrated uh, forwards that you'll see uh, in the game. I don't think he gets enough respect because that Pistons team, I don't think, wins the finals with him. Uh, or, I mean, without him. And I think you look at some of these Blazers teams that we were talking about, and they don't get anywhere near that space without him being there as well. Uh, I think he was a crucial part of their success and the Pistons' success. And you look at those teams and kind of how historically they're they're viewed, and I just think that's a, a real opportunity.
0: And, and, and uh, officially the last one. Uh, one. One point, one question. Um, I, I, I agree with you. With what you said about Rashid, and and he's a he's a player that, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but he was maybe one of those first pioneers of being like a four, like a stretch four, stretch five, that can not not only you know beat you down in the post and score, but he can take it outside and start start hitting three pointers. Uh, I know Bird was more like a three four. I'm not sure if the power forward, but Rashid was like a real true power forward, taking it on the outside, shooting threes, and really. Uh, confusing the defense, and I think that's what made it tough for, for him, to, him to be guarded in that conference finals and during that year. So you know, you know, even before Dirk did it, it was Rasheed Wallace doing that. So you know, you know, kudos to him, and um, hopefully one day he'll be in the Hall of Fame. I think he has accolades, the the, the championship resume, All Star resume, um, and the impact on the game. I think I think is there. But last question I got for you, Oliver, before you go. Um. Let Let's just say hypothetically, Portland wins that title in two thousand. Do we even? Do we still get? Do we still get the jailblazers era, or not? I don't know. I don't think so. Or or, think or, should... or or if 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 they did, would it have mattered if they got the title in two thousand? Oh, we could you know be one, but it don't matter.
1: Yeah, I think there's less of a microscope on him in terms of, like, the scrutiny and criticism. And I think for that reason, I don't think you see that era even exist, really. I think they keep a lot more guys. I think Jermaine O'Neal probably stays. I think a lot of things change for that team. I think the confidence within the team, I think the trust, I think all that stuff matters. You know that just as well as I do. You know, some of these players, like, that's a big part of a locker room and, and having success. And when you win a championship... That team is forever in your brain, in your mind, in your heart. And so all these players, I think, would feel the same way. No matter what the criticism or scrutiny was, I think they could overcome it because they say, hey, we were champions. You know, That's something you can come back from. Whereas uh, you look at what happened, and in the past what happened, um, and they didn't win it. And I think that changed drastically what you see the Trailblazers as and what you see the jailblazers Blazers quote-unquote era as. And so, yeah, you're right. I, th- I, th- I think, to answer your question, no, I don't think we see a jailblazers Blazers era. I don't think we see any semblance of it, really. I think we see portions. I think you see certain players maybe act out in certain ways, but nothing to the effect of what it turned into.
0: I agree, man. I, I, I agree. W- whether it happens or not, as long as you got that championship ban on the Raptors, <laughs> Fans won't people care. People don't care. <laughs> Fans will love it. It don't matter. Um Oliver Maroney, I, th- uh, I greatly appreciate you coming on. You can follow him on Twitter at O Maroney NBA. Great work for Dime Magazine, Basketball Insiders, The Positionless Podcast and uh everything about the Big 3. I greatly appreciate you coming on, my man.
1: Yeah, no problem, man. No, I I definitely appreciate you having me and uh keep doing your thing with this because uh I love it. I love the idea. I love the concept and I think people Definitely should appreciate content like this. Um, You know, we need less regurgitation of the Warriors (laughs) and more, more, more respect for the history of the game and where people come from because uh, there's not enough of that out there.
0: Thank you, man. I really appreciate that, and hopefully that. uh, You know, if if I make you go watch some old games, hopefully you don't start crying and feel sad.
1: (laughs) Uh, I'm not gonna feel sad. I enjoy watching them again and again, and you just uh, you look at how the game has changed, man. It's just fun to watch. It's, uh, it's enjoyable either way.
0: All right, man. Thank you, man. I appreciate it. Take care. Thank you. You too.
1: All right.